Pastor Randy Foliard. So I'll uh, bow before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. We thank you for the blessings in our lives that you've shown your favor upon us. We pray that what we do here and also what we do all our days would be pleasing to you, that we would walk according to your ways, that we would do so with meekness and humility, that we would understand that we are certainly filthy rags compared to your presence. We pray that you would continue to work with us, guide us, and direct our ways. And we thank you for the blessings, the, the folks here, those who have come out to worship you. And we ask this in Yahshua's beloved name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Certainly a blessing to see everybody here this Sabbath. I guess I was off last Sabbath. And um, it's nice to see some, uh, some of the visitors here. I want to continue, as uh, Deacon Steve mentioned, my uh, series on the uh, fruits of the Spirit. Today we're going to focus on second to last, and that is uh, meekness. meekness. Now before we delve in, as we've done in the previous messages, I'd like to um, go back to uh, Galatians 5 and uh, read this and, and uh, talk just a little bit about the verse. So uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. You know, we've talked about all those. Today, again, we're talking about meekness. And then we have a last one. It's temperance or self-control. It says, again, such, there is no law. Now, as I've mentioned throughout this series, the um, attributes we find here really form the foundation, the bedrock, if you will, of Yahweh's word. It is what Yahshua would call, I believe, the weightier matters. And for this reason, it's crucial that as believers, we strive to learn, we strive to adopt and live by the characteristics we find here. You know, the bottom line is this. I believe that to be found worthy of the first resurrection, that we must achieve, at least in part, the attributes we find here. We're going to see some of that even today with meekness. We must be showing love, kindness, and all the other fruits to find Yahweh's favor. So again, I just want to impress upon all those here and those listening the, the importance of the attributes we find within this passage. Well, let's focus on meekness, and as I've done with the other previous messages, I want to first define this word. So what does this word mean? What is a word within the Greek? So here's what we find, and this is from Strong's and Alpha Thayer's. So the Greek word is perutes. And it refers, according to Strong's, to mildness, that is my implication, humility. Now, the Thayer's goes a little bit further, and it says, mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, or meekness. So as we find here from Strong's and both Thayer's, this word refers to a mild disposition, a gentle spirit, or humility. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Humility, meekness, again, this mild Disposition. Now, the Thayer's, or I'm sorry, the uh, Webster's, uh, Mary Webster Dictionary defines humility in this way. It says, freedom from pride or arrogance, or the quality of or state of being humble. I'm going to read that just one more time. So, this is again humility based on the Webster's. It says, freedom from pride. Yeah, such an important point just right there. Freedom from pride or arrogance, and again, a quality or state of being humble. Now, as we find uh, from this uh, word, meekness or humility is one of those the most important attributes we find within the word. And I, you know, certainly not the most, I guess. I don't know if you can really make that claim, but it's, again, certainly one of the most. And, and it's such a vitally, 
critical characteristic that we find for so many reasons. You know, if we're going to follow in the examples of Yahshua the Messiah, our Savior, we must be humble. We're going to talk more about that as we go on today. Yahshua's example and what he did and how he lived and how he worshipped. Now, as we see from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, humility refers to being free from pride or arrogance. You see, pride is the, the opposite of humility or, or meekness. In some ways, you know, I believe that pride is the worst enemy human beings must contend with. You know, consider all the examples in our life. When we allowed pride to control the response and the outcome. Now, just for a moment, try to go back and, again, consider a moment in time when, again, you allowed pride to control your response and your outcome. In those cases, more often than not, we probably did or said something that we later regretted. You know, pride is not a good thing. You know, frankly, most of us say stupid things when we allow pride to control our responses, our emotions. And it's precisely for this reason why meekness or humility, this lowliness of mind that we'll discuss later, is so important. Now, the Greek word for meekness is found three times in the New Testament, this, this word for meekness, three times. So to begin with, I want to review these three examples. You know, how are these words, this word specifically used within the text so the first example is in James 1, verse 21. In James 1, verse 21, I'm going to read from both the RSB and also the NIV. The RSB says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Of course, I, I tell you, that doesn't sound old English. I'm not sure what would. And receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now the NIV says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So what is the message we find here from James? Where he begins by saying that we're to do something specifically. He says that we're to remove all the filth and immorality from our lives. Now, why is this so important? You know, before we can draw close to Yahweh, before we can have that relationship that we all desire, we must purge and remove the sin from our lives. And that's just how it works. Yeah, we can't deal with sin. So again, this would include any form of immorality. Now, what does it mean here that when it says to receive the word with meekness, the engrafted word, to receive with meekness, the engrafted word, or this simply means that we're to accept the word. We're to accept the word. Now, to receive the word with meekness means that we must humbly surrender our lives to our Father in heaven. You know, as believers, this is one of the most important concepts I believe to understand. This concept of surrender. You know, I've heard some believers say, well, I don't belong to anybody. Certainly, I've heard a lot of people in the world say that. I, I don't belong to anybody. But in reality, we do belong to somebody. We must submit to the one we worship. If we're going to really humble ourselves before Yahweh, we must realize that our lives don't belong to us. They belong to him. And that's a realization that is, that's uh, very important to comprehend. This concept that the life we have does not belong to us. And again, this means that we surrender everything we have to him. Everything we are, we surrender to him. It's such, again, an important concept, this, this notion of surrendering 
ourselves to the one we worship. I want to focus on one more phrase here, and that is in the King where it says, engrafted word. Where for me, this phrase conveys the idea that Yahweh's word should be within us. It should be within us. It should be part of us. You know, for example, as we see in Hebrews, it should be implanted within our hearts and minds. You know, this is one of the defining attributes, by the way, of the new covenant. We find that in Jeremiah, the new covenant. We also find it also in Hebrews 8, the new covenant. And part of the new covenant is that Yahweh's word, that his laws will be within our hearts and minds. So it's going to be implanted within us. Now, what happens when this occurs or when this happens, the uh, word is implanted within us. It then drives our behaviors. It drives our actions. It drives what we do, how we think, and our actions as believers. So as disciples of the Messiah, can we say that we've removed all filth and immorality from our lives? Or do we still have some filth that we must remove? Can we say that we've accepted Yahweh's word with meekness and humility? Can we say that the word has been deeply implanted and rooted within us? And that it drives our behavior, that it drives our actions, that it drives our emotions. You know, the fact is only we ourselves can answer these questions, but it's something we should all contemplate. It's something we should all consider. Again, have we removed the filth? Are we really devoted? Do we have Yahweh's word implanted within us? Now, the next example of this word is found in James 3, verse 13. It says there, Who is the wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So how do we know that? It says, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So James begins here by asking, who is is wise? Who is knowledgeable with Yahweh's word? So how do we know this? How do we discern this? Where he says that we show this by a good conversation. That's what it says, by a good conversation and also with Meekness of wisdom. So what does the King James mean here when it says conversation? You know, sometimes generally this word goes back to the same Greek word. It doesn't really convey the thought in my mind. So the word conversation comes from the Greek word anastrophe, and it means behavior. So this word conversation, good conversation, what it's really saying is good behavior. That's what it's saying within the Greek. So we see here that a person of wisdom and knowledge is going to show that wisdom and knowledge how? He's going to show that knowledge by his good behavior. It means that we show consideration, kindness, and patience to one another. It means that we avoid immorality and those things that offend our Father in heaven. It means that we set a positive example that others can look to and follow and allow it to lead their lives. In essence, it is doing what is right both to our fellow man and to the one we worship. That is what good behavior means in my mind, doing what is right to our fellow man and to Almighty Yahweh. Now we also see here an admonition to show meekness, meekness with wisdom. So what does it mean here to show meekness with wisdom? I want to read from Barnes Notes. It had a fairly lengthy description of this. I'm going to read part of the definition here. So here's how Barnes Notes defines this phrase, meekness with wisdom. It says, with a wise and prudent gentleness of life, not in a noisy, arrogant, or boastful manner. True wisdom is always meek, mild, and gentle, and that is the wisdom which is needful if men 
would become public teachers. It is remarkable that the truly wise man is always characterized by a calm spirit, a mild and placid demeanor, and by a gentle, though firm, enunciation of his sentiments. You know, from this we find that this phrase simply refers to a person who again shows a behavior that we, we would define as a calm, we would define as mild, we would define as meek, we would define as kind. All of those attributes define a man who would again show meekness with, with, uh, of wisdom as we find here. Well, this obvious, obviously rules out a person who is arrogant or haughty. And this is one difference, I believe, between Yahweh's wisdom and man's wisdom. You know, think about it. How does the world define wisdom versus how does Yahweh define this attribute? Yahweh's wisdom requires that a person remain humbled, that a person remains meek. And this is one reason I have such an issue with ministers who are high-minded, ministers who believe that there's something special, ministers who believe that they're better than the congregation. You know, it doesn't matter what position we're in. It doesn't matter what we've done or where we're at within life. When you think about it, we are all filthy rags when we compare self to our Father in Heaven. Not one of us is worthy, and we all have issues, and we all fall miserably short. And believe me, it does us good, I believe, to remember that. To remember and to be sober and to contemplate that at the end of the day, we're all like filthy rags when we compare ourselves to what's important. Now, the last example of this word is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. So here's what it says in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. This is, But sanctify Yahweh Elohim in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with, it says, meekness and fear. Now, there's a few lessons here I'm going to focus on. Number one, Peter says here the word to sanctify Yahweh with our hearts. What does this mean? How do we sanctify Yahweh? You know, we, we read these phrases within Scripture, these words, but sometimes we don't really understand the essence, what is communicating. Well, the word sanctify comes from the Greek hagiedzo, and according to Strong's, means to make holy or to venerate. So that is how we sanctify the one we worship. So how do we do this? Or as believers, we're to venerate, meaning that we're to, we're to worship, we're to esteem, we're to honor the one that we worship and recognize his greatness. And we do this in part by, again, humility, by, by humbling, submitting our lives to him. Number two, Peter says that we're to have a ready answer to all who might ask about the hope within us. You know, this is one reason why I believe so strongly that as believers, we need, we must know the word. And when I say that we must know the word, I mean that we must know the word, the book, chapter, verse. We must understand the truth and be able to defend that truth. You know, for example, we should be able to explain to others why we observe the Sabbath, why we observe the feast days, why we insist on using Yahweh and Yahshua's name. You know, we should also be able to explain why we refrain from worshiping on Sunday and man's holidays like Easter and Christmas. We should also be able to explain why we don't believe in the Trinity, going to heaven or hell, or many of the other errors we find within today's theology. Scripture says we must have a ready answer to, all, to those who will ask. And to do this means, this means that we must know the word. We must understand the word, which means that we must actively study the word. 
And that's why, you know, we even do these workshops during the feast days so that we can refresh and understand and know and be able to respond. Number three here, Peter says that we should witness with meekness and fear. With meekness and fear. Now, this is really important here because I think many people will assume something that's not true here. The word fear comes from the Greek phobos. Phobos. Strong defines phobos as to put in fear. Now, the King James, to get a better feel for how this word is utilized, the King James translates this word as to be afraid, to to be afraid exceedingly, fear, and terror. That's what defines this word. Now, some people would assume that this word might mean something like reverence. But that's not what we find at all. What we find here is it literally means to be afraid, to be exceedingly afraid, as we find in part. You know, I believe the point here is when we witness the word, we should do so with a healthy dose of humility and meekness and also fear, realizing that we are witnessing the most important word within this universe. You know, in some ways, I believe a good comparison would be when Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies. You know, think about that for a moment for just a second. Imagine yourself being Aaron. You can go on one day a year, and you know the consequences of doing something wrong. It would be your life would be extinguished in a, in a moment. Consider the fear and the humility, the meekness that that man must have felt as he's walking into the Holy of Holies where I believe that we should have that same fear when we witness the word of our Father in heaven. We need to realize the tremendous and awesome responsibility that we are undergoing and not to take it lightly. And I think that's why it says here that when we witness, when we share, that we should share and when we we, we should witness with meekness and fear, meekness in, in the sense of humbleness of mind, realizing that we ourselves are imperfect, realizing that we too fall short, and also in fear, realizing the awesome gravity of what we are doing. Now, we also see in the word a special blessing for those who are humble, those who are meek. I want to share with you two scriptures on this, Psalms 37 11, and also uh, Matthew 5, verse 5. Psalms uh, 37 11 says, But the weak meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Does that sound familiar to you? Something we find in the New Testament, of course it does. Matthew 5, 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for what? For they shall inherit the earth. You know, now both of these passages, we find the same promise. And that promise is that, that the meek, or the humbled, or the lowliness and lowly in heart, will inherit the earth. You know, in many ways, I view this prophetic. I believe that's probably the best way to approach this passage is from a prophetic standpoint. We know from the word that those found worthy will reign with Yahshua, the Messiah, and the kingdom. In fact, we find this promise in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5.10 says, And hath made us unto our Elohim kings and priests, and we shall reign where? It says, We shall reign on the earth. You know, we find two important truths here. Number one, again, those found worthy, those who lived and showed a good behavior, that they're going to reign and rule as a kingdom of priests with the Messiah in the kingdom. 
And number two, they're going to reign here on earth. Now, this is the reason I believe the promise in Psalms 37 and also Matthew 5, 5 is prophetic because that's what we find. Scripture shows that the saints, that the elect, that the called and chosen, that those who fought the good fight and succeeded and overcame, that they're going to receive the promise of priests within the kingdom at the return of our Savior, Yahshua Messiah. And again, we find here that humility is an absolute must for those found worthy of this promise within this passage. To find and to be found worthy, we must be humbled. We must have this meek mindset. Now, in Psalms 25, 9, we find another blessing for the meek. It says there, the uh, RSP says, meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his ways. Now, the NIV says he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Now, how does meekness guide and teach us of Yahweh's ways? But the answer is quite simple. Only Yahweh only works with those who are meek in heart. Yahweh only works with those who are humbled in heart. Now, why is this? Well, you know, meekness, and, and here's the, the, the real important point to understand. Meekness allows our Father in heaven to mold a person according to his will, according to his word. And really, it molds him according to his image. You know, when we think about humility, I often think about a clump of clay. And we've all seen clay and how it works, and I'm sure most of us, we've worked with clay on some level. You know, when the clay is soft, we can mold that clay in, in, in some image, some form. And it's the same way with Yahweh. When we're, when we're soft, when we're humbled, when we're meek, Yahweh can mold us according to his image and his way. But what happens And what can we do with a hard clump of clay? There's not a whole lot we can do with it. It's hard. It's it's not moldable. There's nothing we can do with it. It is without profit. It is vain. And that's the same thing. That's how Yahweh views somebody with pride. They are a hard clump of clay. They're unusable. They are, again, you cannot mold that behavior. And this is, again, why Yahweh can teach the humbled, and not the proud. Now, one man who stands out, I'm sure there's others, but one man who stands out with meekness is Moses. Not not everybody knows this, but Moses is probably most well-known in many ways for his meekness. We see this in Numbers 12, verse 3. Numbers 12, verse 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek, above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. You know, we have Solomon with incredible wisdom. It says, above all those of the east. And here we have Moses. And it says, Moses was a very humbled or meek man. It says here that he was meeker than any other man on the face of the earth. Now, let that set in for just a moment. Have you ever really considered the meek nature of, of Moses. Again, it says here that he was meeker than any other man on the face of the earth. You know, I believe that we should really consider that and ask why 
did Yahweh choose and select Moses? You know, no wonder why he did. You know, I think this tells us a lot about the type of person our Father in Heaven is looking for within a believer. I think it tells us what he wants, what he desires from us. You know, he could have called any man to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage, but he chose Moses. He chose Moses. He could have chosen a born leader with such characteristics as strength, courage, charisma. But instead, he chose this shepherd at the time. He chose Moses, a man who was not known for any of these characteristics, wasn't really known for his strength, wasn't really known, certainly for his charisma. He wasn't known for his, his persona or his, his um, leadership. But what Moses lacked in these things, he more than made up for in humility. In meekness. And that's what Yahweh wanted. He wanted the meekness. He wanted, because listen, he could mold the charisma. He could mold the, the courage. But he could not mold a man who was not moldable, who was not, who was not able to, to change or accept Yahweh's word. You know, for a moment, let's think back to when Moses was called at the burning bush. I'm not going to turn there. We all know the account, I, I believe. When Yahweh told Moses to uh, return to Egypt so that he could free the people of Israel, what was Moses' response? How did he respond when Yahweh gave that command? Did he say, absolutely? Did he jump up and, and, and begin running towards Egypt? No. He uh, begged Yahweh to send someone else. He pleaded with Yahweh, not me. I'm not the man you're looking for. I just don't have the talents. I don't have the strengths. I don't have the ability to lead a people. I'm slow of speech, he said. I just can't do it. And we also know for that reason, Yahweh showed favor and brought in Aaron. But he had every excuse in the world, and we find that Yahweh was angry with Moses. But in the end, Yahweh still called Moses because of his Humility. He was chosen because of his meekness. Again, wasn't chosen because of his charisma, because of his courage. You know, in this world, we value all these characteristics that really, they're not real high up on the list with our Father in heaven. Yahweh doesn't care how, you know, the, the, the charisma that we show. He doesn't care really whether or not we're, we're uh, you know, we have this presence about us. What Yahweh cares about is whether we're willing to follow him, whether we're willing to mold our lives according to him, whether we're humbled, whether we're willing to follow in all that we do, whether we are willing to surrender our lives to him. That is what he's concerned about. That is what he, and you know, he, he's, and that hasn't changed. You know, Yahweh in the book of Malachi says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Yahweh changes not, it says. He doesn't change. The same concerns that he had with Moses are the same concerns that he still has for us today. He's looking for the humbled. He's looking for the meek. He's looking for those who are willing to surrender, who are willing to mold their lives according to his will and not the other way around. The problem is everybody wants to mold their religion, Yahweh, based on their religion. And it doesn't work that way. You know, he's less concerned, again, about presence or charisma, more concerned about humility. You know, consider this. Yahweh can give a humbled man charisma. He can give a humbled man presence. He can give a humbled man courage. But again, a man of pride he can't work with. 
he cannot work with. And again, uh, and this is why that we are to strive not to be prideful, to, move, to, to, to take on this humility with meekness. Now in Romans 3 verse, or 13 verse 2, Paul speaks about pride. I want to turn there and see what he says here about pride. He says, For I say though, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, he says it this way, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or humbly, according as Elohim hath dwelt to every man the measure of faith. So Paul warns here about being prideful. He says here that we're not to think too highly of ourselves, that we're to be soberly or think soberly or humbly. You know, as believers, it is so important that we remain humbled. You know, and I believe this includes every one of us. You know, the Bible talks about ministers receiving double honor. It also speaks about the need for ministers to remain humbled, to remain meek, and to realize and serve as Yahshua did. You know, over my years, I've seen examples of both situations, both ministers who were arrogant and both ministers who were humbled. Just because we stand behind a lectern does not mean or make us any better. And that's something I think is so important for those who minister in the word to realize, to remind, to, to consider you know, the day that we esteem ourselves above others, and this, this includes anybody, the day that we esteem ourselves over another person is the day that we've missed the mark. And that's the bottom line. You know, as believers, we can never put ourselves above, above others and believe that we're better, believe that Yahweh looks upon us in a better way. And maybe he does in the sense that we're, we're doing his will, but, but we, would, we, should never, we should never look at others and... and uh, place ourselves above them in a proud way. We should always remain humbled and meek as believers. Now we see a similar passage in Colossians 3. And again, this is Paul speaking. Colossians 3, verse 12, it says, Put on therefore as the elect of Elohim, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Messiah forgave you, so also do you. You know, we see a lot of lessons here, I believe, by Paul. I want to look at a few of them. He begins here by describing believers in the Messiah. So how does he do this? How does he describe the believers? He, he, he calls them the elect of Elohim, and also he uses words holy and beloved. Now, what does this word elect mean? Or it comes from the Greek electos, electos, and it means favorite. So that's what it means. So Paul here, he's addressing this to the favorite, those who are favored, if you will, of Yahweh. Now, we also find, again, these words, holy and beloved. So the word holy comes from the Greek hagios, refers to something that is sacred or morally blameless. And again, that's an important concept. Look it up in the Strong's. Hagios refers to this concept of something that is morally blameless. You know, some people say, well, it doesn't matter what we do. These folks who believed in one saved, always saved. I was talking to a, a um, relative of mine, and he's uh, of this persuasion, and he will say, I asked, I said, what, what about a man who goes out and commits murder? Willfully, knowingly. Is that person still, he says, absolutely. 
And there, many people believe this. They believe this concept that once you're saved, you're always saved. And that's simply not what we find in Scripture. What we find in Scripture is that we must walk in holiness. And part of walking in holiness is this idea of walking in moral blameless, being morally blameless. And if we're not morally blameless, and that doesn't mean we're perfect, because we all know that we're not. Scripture says that. But we should be striving for that. And if we're not striving for that, and if we're sinning willfully, or we're not, we're not holy. Now, the word beloved comes from the Greek agapio, or agapi, agapio, uh, and it means to, to love, to love. You know, as we consider the meanings of these words, we should realize the depth of love and, and favor that Yahweh has for his, his elect or, or his favorite, as we find within, within this word elect. Now, what else do we find here? He says, Paul says here, that we should also have bowels of mercies. Bowels of mercies. You know, sometimes in the Hebrew and the Greek, we find repetition. There's really no difference between bowels and mercies. They basically mean the same thing, and they both refer to this concept of, of pity or compassion. And I think it does this in part simply because Hebrew does this. Hebrew will be repetitive to convey or to emphasize a point. And, of course, I think uh, much of the New Testament was probably written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and as a result, we see many of these things in the Greek. It's the same thing that Yahweh is um, showing here, that we should, we should show pity, we should show compassion to our fellow man. You know, the bottom line is, like forgiveness, and I really do believe this, like forgiveness, if we are unwilling to show compassion, if we are unwilling to show pity, Yahweh will be unwilling to show that same compassion and pity to us. You see, forgiveness is reciprocal. Yahweh's not going to show forgiveness to us if we're unwilling to forgive others. And the same thing is true about mercy. If we're not willing to show mercy to others, Yahweh will not show us mercy. Now, Paul also mentions here kindness. This comes from the Greek word that we should all be somewhat familiar with because I shared it just a few weeks ago. It comes from the Greek word Christosis. Now, this is the same Greek word for gentleness found within the fruits of the Spirit. It's the same word. Now, Strong's, as you, you probably remember, hopefully you remember some of this, but the uh, definition is moral excellence. That's what it means, moral excellence in, de- uh, in character or demeanor. So if we're showing kindness, the Greek is saying that we're showing moral excellence or, or moral excellence or, 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 or excellence in character. Now, Paul goes on here to mention humbleness of mind and meekness. You know, we've talked already quite a bit about humbleness, meekness, but it's such an important, crucial attribute as a believer. In fact, it's one of the defining characteristics of someone who is serving Yahweh. You know, here's how important it is, I believe, meekness. Without it, we will not be found worthy of Yahweh's kingdom. I'm going to show that to you later on in this message here in a few minutes. Yahshua confirming this point. That without meekness, we will not be found worthy. Without humility, we will not be found worthy. You see, it is not possible to be boastful, to be arrogant, to be pride, and still believe that we can find ourselves within Yahweh's kingdom. It doesn't work that way. If you believe that, you're deluded. It doesn't work that way. And we see that through Scripture, that those who will receive Yahweh's kingdom will be those who are humbled, those who are meek, those who are willing to submit themselves to their fellow man, and to, most importantly, to their Father in heaven. You know, it's crucial that as believers we're able to show patience and forbear, uh, forgiveness, as we find here. Paul also speaks about this. He says, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness. 
in the evangel, Yahshua said that we were to pray for enemies, that we were to love our enemies and pray for them. Now, this is a different kind of love, but nonetheless, we're to show some, some, some love there, some concern there to the point of praying for them, hoping that they're going to change and, and come to a greater knowledge and truth. Now, he closes here by saying that if we have a grievance against somebody, and especially somebody in the faith, he says that we're to forgive that person. You know, what's, what's really intriguing and, and kind of amazing to me is, this kind of, is the fact that we see so many of these fruits overlap throughout Scripture. You know, when it's talking about forgiveness, it, it mentions compassion or pity. When it mentions love. So you see, all of these, all of these characteristics are important. Now, speaking about the Messiah in Matthew 18, starting in verse 1, we find there that he um, conveys what we must do to be found worthy of the kingdom. Now, I want you to really listen to this. I think there's a, a very deep truth here. Matthew 18, 1 through 4, says, At the same time came the disciples unto Yahshua. You know, sometimes they just simply were oblivious, the disciples, that is. I mean, they just had no clue sometimes saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Yahshua called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, in the middle of them, and said, Verily I say to you, saying, Here, look, this is, this is the truth. He said, Except ye be converted, and, so we, we have a, a, a double requirement here, converted, and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same as the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what lesson here do we, do we find from our Savior? What lesson? Where it says that to enter into Yahweh's kingdom, we must do two things. Number one, he says we must be converted. We must be converted. So that's the first thing we must do. And then he says that we must be like little children. So those are the two requirements Yahshua gave. And he says if we don't do these things, if we don't follow this pattern, if we don't change in this way, he says we're not going to be able to do what? He says we're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom. So how important is it? It's pretty important. Now the word converted here comes from the Greek strepho. Strepho. Strong's defines this word as to twist. That is to uh, turn quietly around or reverse. You know, for me, this sounds an awful lot like repentance. Some people have this notion in their head that Repentance is only a verbal confession of remorse. We know repentance is so much more than that. In the Greek, we find that repentance is this concept of thinking differently, acting differently, behaving differently, changing who we are. That doesn't mean we change overnight, but whatever we believed and however we were prior to immersion, we are to think differently, we are to behave differently, we are to, we are to strive to do better. Again, strive to mold our lives according to his will. So that's this concept of, 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 um, of change, of this converted. Now, what, is, what does it mean to become like little children? Or Yasser explains this here. This refers to being humbled, to being meek. And I believe also that this would include this notion of being submissive. You know, think about little children, and, and you know, I know there's always a double-edged sword with this, because little children I've had too, and I've seen many others, they're not always real submissive when they're meek. But generally speaking, two characteristics that stand out is submission and humility for little kids. 
And Yahweh says, we must be like this if we're going to find ourselves within his kingdom. You know, in many ways, humility and submission go hand to hand. You can't have one without the other. And again, this is especially true when it comes to our relationship with our Father in heaven. We must not only humble ourselves, but we must also submit ourselves to him. He's looking for people who are willing to do this, who are willing to submit to him, submit to his word, submit to his will. You know, I know there's, again, some believers out there over the years I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak to them, and they'll say things like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't submit to anything. And that's kind of hard to hear from a believer, but I've heard it. It's like, what do you mean you don't submit? What, what do you mean you're not, you know, you, you know we, Yahweh owns us. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yahweh owns us. We belong to him. Yahshua paid the price with his blood. We are owned by him, and we must conform to his will. You know, this is why pride and arrogance will not work for a believer in Messiah. Yahshua says it here. You know, I don't know, I don't know what Yahshua could have said to be clearer than what he was here. Yahshua said, if you're not like a little child, if you're not converted, you're not going to enter into the kingdom. That's just, again, just the way it works. So we must do this. We must be humbled. We must submit. We must be meek if we're going to found to be found worthy of his great prize. I want to close with Philippians 2, starting in verse 2. This is one of my favorite passages. Philippians 2, 2 through 5. It says, Fulfill you joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done... Listen, let nothing be done. So everything we should do, we, we do, should not conform to this. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The word vainglory means conceit. But instead, he says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's really hard to do. Look not to every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Messiah Yahshua. Again, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. You know, Paul provides her so many crucial lessons. He speaks about unity and love within the body of Messiah, within, within the assembly. He also speaks about removing strife and conceit. And that's something, as a body of believers, we need to really strive to do you know if, if especially if we're the one causing strife if we're causing disunity we need to consider what we're doing and ask even if my motivation is right would Yahweh find what I'm doing with favor you know there's always so many ways to approach a situation and sometimes even if our motivations are right if what we're doing is causing strife within the assembly, it is not right, and we need to do better. He also refers here to walking in lowliness of mind. Lowliness of mind. Now, this simply is meekness or humility. That's all it means, meekness or humility, lowliness of mind. Now, part of this includes thinking more of others as we see than we do ourselves. Now, this, this one here really is hard. Think about it. 
think about what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we should be more concerned about the other person than we are concerned about ourselves. You know, if we're honest, I'm not sure if anybody in this room can, could, could say that they fit into that category. Not completely. But that's what Paul says. Paul says here that we should be more concerned about the others, other person more than what we are of us. For human nature, this is a very hard thing to do because this goes against human nature. But Paul says we should do it. You know, most people naturally think of themselves first and others only then as secondary. But again, as we see here as believers, we're not to do this. We're to think differently. Now, Paul closes here by saying that we should have this mind within us as was also in the Messiah, Yahshua. There's a lot to say about having the mind of Messiah. I mean, you could give an entire message on this phrase, mind of Messiah. As we've heard throughout this message, one of the, uh, one of the uh, patterns we find with the Messiah is this concept of humility with meekness. It's amazing, you know, especially considering who he was. He was a son of Yahweh. There was no reason for him to be subservient to anything. He's the great king of this universe. But you look at Yahshua's life and you look at how he lived during his ministry. He was subservient. He was submissive. He, was, he, he did everything. He, he was humbled. He was me. One of my favorite verses, Yahshua says, Yeah, I come not to be served, served but, uh, but uh, not to be served, but to serve. Or not to be ministered unto, but to minister. You see, Yahshua's coming was not to exalt himself. Yahshua's coming was to humbly support and help those within the assembly and those who would come to the fold. That's the reason and that's the goal and that's the mission he had. And we, as believers, were to have this mind of Messiah within us and we are to follow this same pattern. Everything we do should follow and mimic our Savior to do as he did. You know, there's so many examples. Even, you know, he said, how many times did he say, the Father is greater than I? And how many times did he says, I don't do anything of myself, only what my Father shows. Everything he did, he was subservient to the Father, and everything he did was to show this kindness and support to believers. You know, as believers, again, we're to follow in this pattern. I want to close by asking all those here and all those listening, as believers... In the Messiah, and I, you know, obviously don't, don't raise your hand or anything, but are we walking in meekness? Are we walking in, in, in humility? Are we following this pattern that Yahshua left? Or are we walking in pride and arrogance? You know, think about how you live every day. Think about your interactions with people you know, whether at the assembly, at work, or at school, or whatever, wherever you might be and whatever, whoever you might be associating with. Are you showing this, this sense of uh, meekness or this arrogance? Again, Yahweh doesn't want a, a, a prideful person. You know, as we've heard throughout this message, there is only one right way to walk as a believer, and that is in meekness, that is in humility. And it's hard to do. Anybody who says or professes that they have this all figured out and that they're, they're doing this just as we find within Scripture. They are self-deluded. Because it is very hard to do. It is an extremely hard thing to do to put down pride. To put down arrogance. To put down these parts of us that, that, that goes against Yahweh's word but is part of our human nature. 
And to fill that void then with meekness and humility, it is a very, very hard thing to do. It is a very hard thing to do to consider others before our own needs. Because most of us, by raw human nature, it is always about us. It is always about me. It is what I can do. It is what I need. But Scripture says it doesn't work that way. Scripture says it should be about the other person. It should be about the other, not you. But again, this is very, very hard for us as human beings. It is just extremely hard, but it is something we should all strive to do. It is something we should all strive to be better at, to, to be humbled, to be meek, to, to free ourselves from that pride and that arrogance, because only then, only then, will Yahweh find, will we find favor with Yahweh and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. May Yahweh bless you.